This is Frontline on Air. Major stories on the go. As world focuses on Gaza, Israel's onslaught on the West Bank continues. A larger plan seems to be unfolding in the West Bank, the annexation of which has been of central interest to ultra-right Zionist leaders since 1967. By Shubdha Chaudhary. On November 6, the Israeli army arrested Ahed Tamimi, a 22-year-old Palestinian activist, after a night raid of her family home at Nabi Saleh village in the northwest of Ramallah, West Bank. She was accused of publishing an Instagram post that called for the slaughter of Israeli settlers in the West Bank. Tamimi's family, however, says she does not have an active Instagram account. Neither the post nor the account is now viewable. A week earlier, on October 29th, the Israeli government arrested her father, Basim Tamimi, an advocate for non-violent resistance in the West Bank, when he was trying to make his way to Jordan. He's being held in Offer Prison under administrative detention for 6 months without charge or trial, which could be extended. According to the Palestinian prisoner rights group Adamir, The Israeli prison system is a complex of monstrous machinery in form, laws, procedures and policies designed to liquidate and kill. According to her mother Nariman Tamimi, Oheid is being held at Damon prison near Haifa in Israel and was beaten. In 2017, Oheid went up to IDF Israel Defense Forces soldiers and began fighting them after one of them shot her 15-year-old cousin in the head at close range with a rubber-coated steel bullet. Days earlier, I slapped an armed Israeli soldier in the face in front of my house, a slap that reverberated around the world. She recounts in her autobiography titled They Called Me a Lioness. It wasn't the first time I hit one of them, nor was it the first time it was captured on film. but it was certainly the most noticed in a state that controls every aspect of my life i have become the object of widespread enmity some even want me dead for daring to insult the central symbol of their occupation but what i did was a natural reaction to seeing belligerent foreign occupiers on my family's land an immoral army that nearly killed my cousin and was now shooting at children from the entrance of my home and now i must pay for what i did palestinians today are facing one of the most difficult phases since the nakba of 1948 the forced and violent displacement of palestinians from their homeland by israeli settler colonialists even as the world's attention has been focused on the bombardment of gaza since october 7th as many as 212 palestinians have been killed in the occupied west bank according to un officials Hamas does not have a presence in the West Bank. As many as 2850 West Bank Palestinians have been wounded. 1800 have been abducted, with 750 of them in administrative detention, and settlers have destroyed thousands of olive trees. AP has reported that immediately after October 7th, towns were raided, curfews imposed, teenagers arrested, detainees beaten, and villages stormed by Jewish vigilantes. News reports have pointed out that even before October 7th, 
This year was the deadliest in the West Bank in over two decades, with Israelis killing 250 Palestinians. A larger plan. It is part of a larger plan. The far-right Israeli finance minister Bezalel Smotrich advocated for the creation of sterile no-go areas prohibiting the presence of Palestinians in the vicinity of the settlements and major roads that lead to them. Such realities create a carceral geography for Palestinians where their lands are a place where confinement and coercive control are continuously exercised. The spatiocide of Palestinians started shortly after 1967 and the subsequent occupation of the West Bank by Israeli forces. Israel declared the Palestinian territories a closed military zone. It established military rule through geographically dispersed military governorates, which later evolved into the Israeli civil administration in 1981. This brutality through racial bureaucracy and discriminatory laws has generated a complex and chaotic socio-political and legal environment. What the scholar Mayan Ravid refers to as a void of sovereignty around which a particular political modality of localized governmentality predominates. This void of sovereignty has suppressed the voices of several West Bank Palestinians, more so after October 7. This in turn has led to a strong surge of resistance. Fahed Qasemi flinched when he saw the manufacturer's name on a piece of candy he was picking up for his five-year-old daughter in a supermarket in Hebron. Like many Palestinians in West Bank who are now boycotting Israeli products, he decided to boycott the product. Seeing his response, his daughter too chose to boycott the candy. He wanted to share his experience on Meta, previously Facebook, but can no longer post publicly on the platform. Every night at dinner, his family talks about what they would do if Israel bombs their home. They have decided not to give up or run away. Palestinians are not afraid. Our life has gone. We have nothing more to lose, Fahed told me. Almost 60% of West Bank Palestinians have also boycotted work, knowing full well that they might die of hunger, poverty and thirst if the war continues. Israeli products from companies like Ahava, Kata, Strauss, Tivol, Osem, Eden Spring and Sabra are being boycotted. In 2016, I met a young Palestinian girl in Jericho who had never met her mother. She was born in her grandparents' home in Jericho. After giving birth to her, the mother had to return to Jerusalem as her ID card was about to expire. After that, the mother and daughter have never met. It is illegal for Palestinians in the West Bank to travel from one city to another without a valid Israeli permit. Even the dead are not at peace in Palestine. Recently, the site of the Palestinian-American journalist Shirin Abu Akhle's murder by an Israeli soldier in 2022, located at the entrance to the Jenin refugee camp in the northern West Bank, was destroyed. The reason? It had turned into a memorial for Palestinians. On October 21st, the Israeli military evicted Issa Amro, a Palestinian human rights defender, from his house in Tal Rumieda in Hebron. 
His fault was having two guests, a British national who works for Australian News, and Yehuda Shol, the Israeli co-founder of Breaking the Silence, an Israeli veterans organization. Tal Rumieda has a metal factory run by Palestinians. The Israeli military closed it after the Ibrahimi Mosque massacre in 1994. Now, the settlers are trying to fully take over this piece of private property. The entire population of the West Bank village of Zanota is on the move. But they have no money, food or water. In Anizan, in the South Hebron Hills, another Palestinian community is being forcibly uprooted by settler violence. Palestinian children who travel to school via an Israeli checkpoint in the occupied West Bank are deliberately delayed by soldiers to make them late for classes. Israeli writers have spoken of Palestinian ambulances being deliberately held up at checkpoints for hours. Gada Sasa is a Palestinian PhD candidate who lives in the village of Madama, which is under Israeli occupation. On November 3rd, he rallied in solidarity with the people of Gaza. The Israeli army immediately invaded his village and began firing bullets and tear gas. Two of my family members were shot in the feet. We don't know if they can walk again, Sasa said. Owing to the terrorism of the Israeli army and settlers, people are afraid to leave their homes, let alone travel to Nablus, which is just five minutes away. Arbitrary Restrictions Arbitrary restrictions are imposed on Palestinian residents of Jerusalem. For instance, Israel has new restrictions on entering Al-Aqsa Mosque, which go against human rights and international law. Arabs in Jerusalem with Jerusalem IDs have to pay $1,000 a month to the Israeli government for national insurance and as income tax and municipal taxes. On November 4th, the Palestinian journalist Hamza's great-aunt, who lived in Jerusalem, died. Nobody from his family could attend the funeral because they live in the West Bank and are not allowed into Jerusalem. This silent annexation of the West Bank is not new, but a long-term strategy, carefully planned and under execution long before October 7th. 55 annexation bills have been submitted to the Knesset, Israel's parliament. Mirav Amir, senior lecturer at Queen's University Belfast, points out that Israeli political figures have published six detailed annexation plans from 2010 to 2020. Amir's research covers an extensive review of the discussions around annexation in the Israeli media and the materials produced by and through the advocacy of the annexation lobby, ribonut, meaning sovereignty in Hebrew. In April 2020, Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's Prime Minister, declared that he would soon carry out an annexation of parts of the West Bank. Annexation Plans The West Bank and its annexation have been of central interest to ultra-right Zionist leaders since 1967. The Second Oslo Interim Agreement, Oslo II, signed in 1995, divided the West Bank into three administrative areas, A, B and C. The Palestinian Authority, PA, was given control of the civil and military administration of Area A, which includes Nablus, Jenin, Tulkarem, Kalkilya, Ramallah, Bethlehem, Jericho 
and 80% of Hebron. In Area B, which includes 440 Palestinian villages, the PA runs the civil administration while other functions remain under Israel's military control. Area C, which comprises 60% of the West Bank and where almost all the Jewish settlements have come up, all illegal according to international law, is under full Israeli control. The full annexation of Area C will allow Israel to preserve its hold over 60% of West Bank land without applying formal Israeli sovereignty over West Bank Palestinians. Adi Mint, for instance, who served as the head of the Yesha Council, the Settlers' Umbrella Organization, stated in his plan that annexation of Area C would allow Israel to reassume full security control of the territory. In his plan, Yoav Kish, a leading politician in the Likud party, said that the two-state solution would facilitate a terrorist state in the heart of the land of Israel, which the annexation of Area C would prevent. Area C encompasses almost all the agricultural lands, quarries, water resources and land reserves of the West Bank. Proposals for partial annexation have therefore been designed deliberately to maximize land grab by Israel while evading the demographic repercussions of full annexation. This means, to borrow the words of Levi Eshkol, the third prime minister of Israel, keeping the dowry, the land, but not the bride, the Palestinians. After October 7, the Israeli military is once again deploying the Dahia Doctrine, which dictates the use of overwhelming and disproportionate military force and the targeting of government and civilian infrastructure, both in the West Bank and Gaza. The doctrine is named after the Dahya neighborhood of Beirut, a stronghold of Hezbollah, which Israel destroyed during its assault on Lebanon in the summer of 2006. Breaking the Silence, an organization of veteran soldiers who have served in the Israeli military since the start of the Second Intifada, along with other Israeli human rights partners, have called on the international community to stop the ongoing forcible transfer of lands in the West Bank. International law works on the principle of opinio juris sive necessitatis, which refers to the belief that when states follow a certain practice, such as abiding to the principles of international law, they are doing so out of a sense of obligation. The supremacy of international law is also codified into Article 27 of the 1969 Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties. But Israel continues to ignore Article 27. As the world watches, the Gaza genocide and the illegal land grab in West Bank goes on, with Israel dismissing all protests and opposition as being anti-Semitism or pro-terrorism. Palestinian enclaves continue to wallow in the perpetual temporariness of anticipation. Griffiths and Jerome in 2021. Relegating Palestinian self-determination to, as noted by Dipesh Chokraborty, the waiting room of history. Shubdha Chaudhary is editor at Centre for India-West Asia Dialogue, a think tank based in New Delhi. She specialises in West Asian politics and has field experience in the West Bank, Egypt, Oman and Jordan. This is Frontline on Air. Major stories on the go.